Hey, everybody. Today, I'm here with Sharon Brown. Sharon Brown is an investor, an angel investor, too. She's into mergers, acquisitions, and uh, uh, and you're actually a, uh, a speaker. You speak on uh, launching products and growing companies. And um, I had the uh, fortunate benefit to be in a couple of your meetings that you host, uh, networking with other investors and stuff, and really like the path that you're on. So I invited you here to uh, to share that with everybody. So uh, the, the place I always like to start is just kind of, um, I want to say your origin story, kind of, you know, uh, I don't ever ask people like, don't go all the way back. If you have a painful childhood, I'm not trying to dig up any old <laughs> memories or anything, but you know, scabs. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to pull off any scabs. This isn't a psychology type of, you know, I'm not, a, uh, we're not getting into any type of, um, you know, self-help or anything. I'm not going to cure anything. <laughs> so uh but yeah, if you could tell us a little bit about you know who is Sharon Brown and what 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 what's what's behind you? What you know? What do you want to, to accomplish in life? Yeah, it's it's a th- thank you for having me. And we kind of hit it off when we came to uh, the last investor a virtual cocktail. So I, I I love that we get a chance to spend some time together. Um, yeah, we realized we have the same sense of humor, which was really important. I think <laughs> I love a good laugh. Yeah, yeah, loving a good laugh. Uh, but definitely the investor part uh, is what I love. I love uh, uh, really sharing my uh, background and, and advisor expertise to help businesses grow in, in the middle market area. And you mentioned an important thing. I, I am, quote unquote, an angel investor. I was an angel investor. I do have a, a portfolio, which I'm really proud of, 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 of um, companies that I still am invested in, but I actually no longer uh, invest okay. in stuff. So I have about now, about nine uh, that are doing the thing, growing, and I'm still seeing some great uh, returns in, in, in traction with those. So it's exciting. And everything from SaaS is what I'm really into, but I've invested in, in the nutrition space as well as uh, delivery Last mile, I, I just find it fascinating. So that's been a great space uh, as well as AI. And so, the, you know, in wearables, I, I definitely had a, a couple of things as, as well. But right now it's all about investing in different areas. And I'm, I'm going all in in terms of investing in middle market tech and non-tech products and services is really where my background is. So I kind of have a lot of fun with that. Uh, so right now, yeah, it's um, it's been a lot of a lot of fun sort of picking that. Awesome. Ball. And I see you're also a speaker. So if uh, if somebody wants to uh, have you come out and talk about growing a business, or you know, we'll talk a little bit later about growth through acquisition because that's what we do here. We're we're about mergers and acquisitions uh, podcast. But uh, you know. What does that look like? Is it uh, something you're still doing there too? If somebody wanted you to come out and talk to a group and help move them forward in the conversation of you know growth through acquisition or growth through a product launch or yeah, my it's an interesting thing. I used to do so much speaking because mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, and then it got to the point where <laughs> it almost became you know overwhelmed your life, and, and I realized okay, I've got to sort of get off this. Uh, Trail. So I, I still enjoy doing it. Um, depends on what the ask is, but one of the sweet spots for me is about product launches and and sharing the framework even that I've uh, I've shared with many, but have used to, to really grow and develop 
billions in, in products and services, tech and non-tech. And so one of the, the things that I always uh, sort of make as an as a important keynote is if you don't know what your product or service looks like in the very beginning, and not in a theoretical sense, but if you really don't know what that thing looks like, you have a world of difficulty building it. And so imagine what that is if it's a tech product, but even if it's a non-tech product or service. Uh, and so what does that look like? And then another thing that I always speak about are, uh, I've boiled down over the course of my uh, trajectory of my career, there really are five different types of products and services. And so you want to know which are you in or are you focused in? Because that's about, once again, knowing what it looks like. And that's about knowing ultimately how you're going to scale and exit. And so I'll just quickly share those. You know, is it a widget or service uh, type of product or service? Is it a fix and diagnose? <laughs> is it IT or systems? Uncharted territory. That means something that has never been done before. And I've had my share of those. Uh, and, and then lastly, is it mission critical? Uh, meaning if this thing isn't isn't um, put into place, it's going to break things or you're going to have custom service nightmares or you're going to get sued. <laughs> so <laughs> those are the things that um, I can often have a lot of, a lot of fun with. So uh, you, you piqued my curiosity in the uncharted territory because one of the things I find is a lot of entrepreneurs believe they're on an island of one. They're in uncharted territory. Nobody's done it like this. And that's a double-edged sword in my world. I think that um, we have a lot of history as far as business, you know, business history since the uh, since cavemen were doing, you know, trading of, of goods for furs or whatever up until now. So if nobody's done it yet, it better be a technology player, something that's just invented in my world. I, I, what, what is your thought process on the... It's truly unique, one of a kind. Nobody's ever done it. Um, it's a, it's a, and you're hundred percent right. Uh, one, the, the logical question is, well, have you researched the market <laughs> thoroughly enough? But honestly, I, I can say from my perspective, and having lived in that tech world for decades, shall I say? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can have something that is uncharted territory in terms of, uh, that doesn't mean the universe has never seen it, but is there a variation of that? Is there a feature twist? And then just to add on to that, maybe it is actually new to your organization or to your portfolio of products and services. So that uncharted territory, that's a whole different dynamic in terms of what does it look like in terms of scoping it out, laying the foundation, knowing what those major components are, being clear around those deliverables, and then ultimately uh, get into a place where you get traction and scale. It's interesting. Is uh, one of the things I'm hoping to do, I'm, I'm planning to do. Uh, I'm on a big project that lasts another 29 months or so, but afterwards, I think we're going to do a little world travel. And in my mergers and acquisitions role. I think I want to look for companies out there that are doing really well in similar markets, European markets and uh, um, even you know South African markets and uh, Dubai, but just things that are really doing well uh, with demographics that I can match in the U.S. and then bring that product or service here. Because I, I know somebody that does it in the product space and he does really well with it. Um, you know, it's the strangest things. You brought a line of dishes along about 20, 30 years ago now, uh, type of dishes from, uh, I guess, uh, South Korea. And, you know, 
made a killing here and then sold that, you know, sold that off. And he didn't even like have to make them or anything. He just licensed the product to the U.S. Like, you know, had the U.S. license to distribute. But uh, I'm curious about like that. I can see like it's it's proven in one market, but it's not been exposed to others um, or it's the technology play. But when somebody says something's totally unique and uncharted, nobody's done it like this before. I have to ask why. And it's what I think it's probably uh, when you call it cognitive bias. One of the biggest <laughs> failures I've ever had was because I tried that, right? I, uh, I created an online dating site called honestyfirst.com. I got featured in, you know, as a side, as part, I got featured in the Wall Street Journal uh, under an article about somebody else, but they featured, you know, my, my website and everything in there because we were one of their customers. And uh, anyway, yeah. comes, come to find out nobody really wants to be honest in their profile. The, the whole mechanism <laughs> was is we had a mechanism to keep people honest and, you know, their profile. And, you, you know, I, I used to joke around saying I solved the Mr. Potato Head problem. Like the, you, you would go out and you meet somebody and he or she would kind of look like what they look like online. But somebody moves some stuff around. <laughs> oh, yeah, lots of filters. Right? <laughs> lots of filters. Back then, it was just like, you know, that's an old photo. Uh, but yeah, so when somebody says it's uncharted territory, and I'm like, a lot of times there's a reason why it's uncharted. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm intrigued by that. So, and um, I think just to peel that layer back a little bit, though, I, the emphasis is on it might be new to your market, uh, to your particular slice of the market or just to mm. your customer base. So to the point of it, I mean, it's not necessarily that it's new to the universe. Uh, and a great example of that is AI. So maybe you're bringing in an AI component to a service a module that mm -hmm. that's completely uncharted territory in your organization. How are mm. you going to implement that uh, to, so, so it makes sense? So those are the type of examples. And the one place that I love to share with, with folks about that, uh, since my background in technology, I took a detour after the first uh, that dot com bus uh, to actually I launched a skincare line and I oh, yeah. no background experience in that area but it became wildly successful. Uh, to my surprise, we were actually um, in featured in the Grammy gift bags. We were in the Bellagio hotels Four Seasons uh, because it was spa, back bar, as well as retail. So not only uncharted territory for clearly my organization at the time but then what i soon realized you've got to keep that cranking if you're not just gonna you know get rich off of selling you know cream or whatever it might be so the twist and the reason why we became um you know featured in all different types of international media is because i launched something called black diamond truffle and like actually infusing truffle black truffles into the product so that was completely something I can say in the universe at the time that was not done. <laughs> and so now. Interesting. So then you can get my point. The different yeah. ways of framing it and really the bottom line is what does it mean in terms of the deliverables you're producing? And I can see using that to, to really develop your unique selling proposition, right? Yeah, you, you, you know, even if it's not necessarily like the whole thing's unique, you've brought something into it to make it stand out. Uh, I, I I can get behind that 100. Yeah. percent So uh, I'm not so, afraid of that. Uh, I'm I'm seeing this in my investing world right now. Is uh, as an investor, I I, I have actually a, a really long background in um, e-learning, and so one of the things that's come up is what's happening in the world of of, of, of really 
being able to search through video and mm-hmm. audio and, and get right to a specific place in that video audio where the person is speaking. And so the uncharted territory and some of the conversations I'm having with potential uh, investment targets are monetizing that. And I'm, I'm actually bringing that to the table amongst other things. Uh, so that's, it's completely reshaping that particular uh, industry. If you could fix the, uh, how well Otter transcribes stuff, that'd be awesome. <laughs> we use it. We use it extensively in one of my projects, and it's not very accurate. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, awesome. So, one of the questions I always like, like to ask is, um, you know, knowing what you know now, um, what is one big, I guess, myth or or fallacy that's kind of inset in, in the, in the space that you're working in that just isn't true. And you wish it would go away. Right. Almost every industry, almost every space has this like overlying myth that it's either real easy, like real estate, right. I, I, I've done a lot of real estate and it's, it's get rich quick. I actually, I'm working on a book called get, get rich quick, my ass, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's not, it, it's a business. And, but there's, I, I think every industry has, has this, I want to call it, overbearing or overshadowing myth that just isn't true. Um, do, do you think of inside of the space you're in now, or are there any, uh, you know, common uh, held beliefs that, oh, sure. I, that I just aren't true? That. I love that you asked that. And I have one that will probably make you smile uh, as a fellow investor. Um, someone reaching out to you and because you're an investor, oh, they're willing to give you millions of dollars. <laughs> I'm just going to give them millions of dollars for their, for their business. Uh, and it's a, it's a complete fallacy in terms of understanding what an investor wants, needs, and expects and how it's really more about a partnership and getting mm-hmm. to the purpose of, of understanding the value of the company and then how it's going to be paid for is a whole different separate conversation <laughs> so I is, is down. Like, that's the thing <laughs> it's interesting that I, I get that one too it's like well i i want your money but i don't want your advice <laughs> and i was like unfortunately my advice comes way before my money <laughs> right and uh Maybe one of these days I'll have I'll have stupid money, but I don't have stupid money yet. Stupid money is where I was like, you know, I believe you could just like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. I'll throw some over there. But uh, right now I'm still at the stage where I'm cautious about what I get involved with, what I put my time in on. And I got to believe in the people, number one. And that, a lot of people, they think it's the like they, they pitched their idea, their idea, their idea. And I was like, I'm not really that interested in the idea until I kind of know where who you are and what you're up to. Right. <laughs> what have you done in the past? And if you haven't done it, that's OK. Who do you have on the team that has? Right. I'm working on this huge international project that we've never created a half billion dollar company. But we went out and found some people that did because that's critical Like to have people that have, you know, I believe in trailblazers. But I also believe in, you know, there's usually if, if you're smart about like, you know, hiking in uncharted territory, you probably get a guide. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you don't get lost. Right. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking on guides and stuff, I see, you know, I see you leading these um, happy hours uh, and, and, and you're, you're just a natural leader in the communities that you partake in. Do you do mentorship and stuff like that for the for the for your investor? You know, when you invest in somebody is an investor mentor relationship 
or is it okay? They're already doing something great. I'll put some. I'll put some time, energy, and a little bit of money in it, but I I don't need to to mentor them. Yeah, it's, uh, thank you kindly for that. A hundred percent. It depends on the circumstance. I'm. I certainly expect that that is something worth my time and, and energy. And if I'm if I'm an equity uh, investor, that sure, I dedicate time uh, each month for certainly that's a thing. But then there's some who are skilled for long, quite frankly. And so they, they need less or require or appear to have, you know, maybe a little bit less of that. I've just uh, come across one uh, particular, I was actually looking to acquire uh, an, an, a digital marketing agency as a back office, not not for, for anything other than, but really part of my back office. And one of the things that I uncovered is that the owner really, quite frankly, just wants a mentor. <laughs> she just wants me. And that's not quite what I'm looking for. And at that point, I'm thinking, well, you know, I can just hire an employee rather than um, one of the, the counter offers she came back with was, well, maybe we just build the business together, you know, just actually build a whole new business. That's yeah. completely different. <laughs> right. Thing. So, so I think, you know, I'm definitely not on that scale from, from an investor standpoint. Uh, happy to build relationships, you know, make friends. But in terms of investing, it's about going all in and where I can sort of give you what I call my cane, uh, you know, my mm-hmm. connections, access, network, and expertise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So along the way, uh, you've done some of the, we both hired similar mentors in the past, so I'm aware of uh, some of the mentorship, but other resources, like I'm an avid reader. I'm actually rereading Perry Marshall's 80-20, and funny thing is one of, I'm, I'm friends with somebody that knows him really well, and um, he, he recommended another book that Perry did. That's the, the 20% of the 80-20 book is what he, how he proposed it, and I, I ordered it not even looking at it because somebody said read it, and I read a lot. And it turns out it's this uh, really thin, like, I don't know if you can see that, but it's like, (laughs) it's, you know, he did the, it's the 20% of the, you know, 80-20 rule. But like what resources or books or something made a real difference in where you are now that you would recommend every entrepreneur go out and and, and read, study, or understand? Mm -hmm. Oh, great. Oh, I love that question. For me, uh, one that I, I just really got, through uh, within this past COVID year <laughs> is, uh, is who, not how. It's <laughs> such a, you know, a thing that, right, there you go. <laughs> I figured you were going to have to. Oh, everything in my office over. <laughs> oh, excellent. It is, it is really a phenomenal. Um, I, I, for anybody listening, don't think it's so obvious, you know, and, and of course, you're going to read through things. You're going to say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But really, if you go through that book, and, and uh, I, I have you know, the digital version, so I have a lot of things highlighted, you're going to be amazed at areas in your life, whether you are, um, you know, as a business owner, an entrepreneur, you are an investor, you're going to find areas in your life where you are, have clear lessons from that book that are just going to surprise you. And I have yeah. I will say for your audience, anybody that gets in touch with me, um, will give them, you know, some way of connecting with each other. I probably have I will regardless, I will give about 40 
of those electronic versions of that book away. Uh, and only through through Amazon, though. <laughs> so you have to have a you have to probably be a U.S. in the U.S. unfortunately for that. But um, I'll be happy to do that. I believe to that. edit that. <laughs> I was trying to edit something and I ended up, so how do they get a hold of you? So I, I, I normally have a little uh, scroll thing. I'll put it underneath there. But for those of us listening to the podcast, what's the way they could get a hold of you and to, uh, you know, find out more information about you or take you up on your offer there? Oh, absolutely. So two, two things. One, you can always go to SharonBrown.co. Um, .co, not .com. So SharonBrown.co. And then another thing that I'm, I'm, I'm actually holding myself accountable to is actually starting to be more active on my Instagram. It's <laughs> been horrible. So find me on Instagram and uh, actually DM me even for, for that resource. Uh, you can just say you, you uh, heard about me on how to exit and you would like a copy of the house. So I only have about 40. So first come first serve on that one. <laughs> okay. It's interesting as I, uh, do you get marketing brew? It's a, it's a newsletter for the marketing. Um, anyway, they were talking about, uh, or one of the newsletters I was on this morning is was talking about Instagram and how they are using it to grow their business and stuff. And I thought, man, I spent a lot of time on the other ones. I really should check that out. So it's funny that you bring that up now. Cause I was really like, okay, I've got an account there. I don't use it much. I should go check it out. And, uh, they recommended doing a kind of a search on um like entrepreneur or whatever your target is and uh you know seeing how easy it is to make connections and 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 reach out to influencers and you know critical people in that industry so i gotta tell you it's such a brilliant thing so one i gotta tell you i've been all in on facebook for years in my business and brand invest is value and i get it i get it uh however one of part of my invest uh, investment portfolio, we've um, leaned into the, the dog uh, vertical as well as nutrition, etc. And so one of the things that I acquired was a group uh, that has over four hundred thousand Instagram followers, mm-hmm. and uh, it has been a, a, a lightning rod of of just awareness of how I was able to get sponsorship within like three weeks of after acquiring uh, because. All they cared about was Instagram. They didn't care about the Facebook, and that was that was sponsor after partner after partner after partner. I, I, I it's almost like a complete reversal of everything I thought and believed uh, around you know the, the social media spaces. That Instagram really does have uh, a specific view, and we also have TikTok, etc. But so for my business accounts, several different businesses, <laughs> we're doing great. But my own personal account, I've been pretty horrible at it. So I need to. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting as I actually had a, a friend of mine's teenage. I think I call him a teenage. He's probably 18 or 19 now, but uh, still in the teens. I, I'm getting old. Everybody seems young to me. <laughs> uh, this young guy looks at me and says, uh, well, what are you doing on like, you know, how do you market your business? I said, we're using LinkedIn and Facebook and that's how we're reaching out and stuff. He goes, those are for old people. Don't you guys have any customers that are in their 20s? <laughs> awesome. And I started thinking, that's not true. Then I realized, you know, it might be. So I started looking at the demographics and uh, Facebook and the LinkedIn, the predominant, you know, 
demographics is 40 plus, 50 plus. Um, you know, the young people got tired of mom and dad seeing what they're up to when they post stuff and they moved off. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, what happens, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I hear that that's the thing where uh, younger people are like, oh, it's, it's jumped the shark. So now it's time to move on to another. <laughs> it's funny as a, uh, you know, like he said, well, Facebook's where I go to talk to my grandparents. That's <laughs> what he said. Like, wow. you know, I was like, oh, gee, thanks. I'm only Ouch. 49 going on 50. That right. <laughs> I resemble that remark. Exactly. Um, <laughs> resemble and we're proud of it. Uh, I'm at Instagram.com, uh, but uh, hey, hey, Sharon Brown. Just can't get it easier than that. Hey, Sharon Brown. So, oh, cool. Gonna... Hey, Sharon Brown. I'll, I'll look that up. So uh, uh, maybe you and I, can, we can start chatting on there and that'll start a yes. conversation there. and That'll be yeah. fun. So give me, give me, give me some a, a friend on there I know. Yeah, right, so, exactly, one good friend. That's all it starts with. Is just you know, it, 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 and you know, it's interesting if you have an interesting conversation, people will want to join in. So, uh, <laughs> and I'm not even sure. Like, I have to do the research on it, you know. Uh, but uh, I will. I'll, I'll get active there too. Um, yeah. So we talked about the books. We we have similar reading uh, you know, things. What about people? Are there are what are the three most influential people out there that? have impacted you um, in, in any space in entrepreneurialism, right? Yeah. The, uh, one come, the one that comes to mind first is uh, Jean Sullivan. Uh, she, she was a, uh, a VC. Uh, she now does some, she's retired from her original uh, um, business that she was part of, but is now still investing in other areas. But she really was the one that got me clear on the possibility of being in an investment world. And that's where I started in, in terms of even wanting to uh, be an angel investor and going to ASTIA meetings and all kinds of things like that. Really exciting. Uh, and then the other is uh, Tom Patrick, who was my professor at Stanford uh, grad uh, school. And just once again, he got me thinking in a whole different way around the investment community. Uh, and, and pretty phenomenal in terms of when you think about how things really transpire for you. I've always been like an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur. We hear that term all the time, but legitimately I was always, you know, cranking out the next thing, cranking out the next thing. And it comes to find out the thing that really fueled me the most was being able to share those experiences and being able to make a mark. In, in any particular uh, industry, and now to be able to do that on scale, and so that's where it all starts from. And then, of course, I think you and I share um, our admiration for Roland Frazier in more ways than one. So that's what being my friend. Never been that's, asked before, so I'm surprised I came up with that pretty quickly. <laughs> that's cool. So I, we all have, you know, people that you know we look up to that we, you know, that we you know, model our business after, I, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I think it's, um, was it Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins, one of the guys that says success leaves clues, right? There's a bunch of people that say it, but I don't remember mm -hmm. who originated it, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I get that. I like that you had people that are just not in the limelight, just the authors of books or Pete or, or mentors you've hired that teach a particular one thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that you have people, that are influential to you that are tighter to your circle. Cause uh, a lot of people, they just, you know, we'll just talk about, you know, who not how and go Dan Sullivan, you know, you know, the book he wrote was awesome. And I was like, cool. Have you ever met him? And they're like, well, no. And I was like, nah, that's not what I'm looking for here. Right. <laughs> not quite on the mark. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
And they be like me saying Dan Kennedy. You know, I spent lots of money being trained to be a copywriter with Dan Kennedy, and I've been at the, I've been at the table with him, right? I've actually sat at the table with him. I was in his inner circle for a little while, you know. But I paid for that privilege, and it was never a one-on-one mentorship. And I wouldn't consider him a mentor. He's just he had a skill set I needed at the time in a phase of my life, and I went to him. Same way with the acquisitions and mergers guys. I've studied under Roland. I've studied under you know Jeremy Harbor. And uh, they're great people. I want to work with them. I'd like to bring them in on some of the projects I'm working on. But as far as like a day-to-day mentor, I haven't spent enough time with them. To, if I, like I would tell somebody that they should be mentored by them, right? Uh, then there's people out there that I've never worked with that I'd love to be mentored by. Jay Abraham is a brilliant in cross-marketing. And, and I'd love to be, on. you know, that might be one of the things on my next on my list is, you know, doing something in one of his programs, right? Um, I've studied a lot of his work. I've read a lot of his stuff. I've watched a lot of his videos, but, uh, I've never given the man significant money and, and it might be time. So, <laughs> and that's it's an interesting thing that you, you raise because, it, you know, in some ways there is a distinction between somebody you just are giving money to, to who do you be really as a, as a, you know, a mentor, you know, and, and, and something I often thought about, I've never really took that role seriously and really seeking out mentors and advisors early as I should have. I mean, honestly, even when I had businesses that were, you know, on the cusp of getting to a certain success point, and I really should have leaned into finding a mentor and advisor. I mean, not just someone you pay money to, right? Because like we all know, anyone's happy to take your money. <laughs> but right. You really, you know, pick up, uh, the phone and to or to, you know connect on an email or whatever it might be, and just even about time passing from Stanford, that was when I was a Stanford dropout. I was when I didn't finish grad school. I did finish grad school somewhere else, but I, I was actually getting a second uh, grad degree because of his influence. I realized, what am I doing? Why am I? Do I really need a second <laughs> master's degree? Like really? And so you realize sometimes you've got to you know recognize. You don't know what you don't know and, and seek out those people with whom you can really build a partnership. So even if that's an investor, that's also an advisor, someone who right. you can just roll the sleeve and talk shop to and, and maybe guide, not just a company, but guide you to where you want to be. Cool. So uh, one of the things I like to, to, to we've, we've covered a little bit here. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, grow through acquisition. Um, you mentioned it on your website. I'm a big fan of that. Um, that's what, that's how I'm going to grow a few of the businesses I own is bolt, bolt on what I call bolt on, um, or, uh, full blown acquisitions that are, you know, of my size or larger. Um, what's your, um, gut take on grow through acquisition, like, you know, growing your company through acquiring, um, others. I'm a fool for not doing it sooner. That's exactly how I feel. <laughs> Why didn't I know about this 10 years ago? Yeah, yeah. So. The amount of things that I've grown from the ground up is just insane and just smacks of just hubris and stupidity. Like, why? You didn't, if I knew that was, I didn't even think, like, that was completely a blind spot. Just didn't even consider that as an option. So my, my takeaway for that is, uh, even if it's someone that's not an investor, part of your community, look for areas where you can partner 
whether it's a baby or whatever it might be, to build something greater than you can and faster than you can on your, on your own. Uh, and it's, it is exactly that. Uh, you'd be surprised at, at um, what you end up growing in, in the end and how fast you can, you can actually grow and scale. And if you look at how the big guys grow and do what they do, right, um, there's growth through acquisition, right? If you look at Google and Apple and stuff, they're buying companies weekly, right? It's crazy the pace that they're they're buying companies. And if you look at a lot of times, they're, they do growth through acquisition just to, to grow and to have new products. But a lot of theirs is uh, acquisition of talent, right? They they may, may not necessarily even need or want. I mean, they've got programmers. They could develop anything they wanted in-house. But finding great people, um, you know, there is a model of growth, you know, uh, what do you call it? They call it AccuHire or something like that, uh, where you're, you're just acquiring the business because of the people it has and their abilities. So have you looked into that or? Oh, you are speaking my language, my friend. That has been, that has been, uh, and I will share just a, a, an interesting story for, for me over this period, this past year. Um, I put in place, I, I kind of let go and scaled down another company I had uh, and to be all in in terms of investment. So that's really all we do. Mm. And having the right people and putting in the right types, as I like to say. And architects around it and cranking, doing great, doing great. I had three key people who I've lost because of um, COVID affecting their families or, or something. And mm -hmm. it's, oh my heavens. And so you realize that uh, how much of a benefit it would be to have, <laughs> you know, growth through uh, growing your team to through acquisition versus all these three people with whom I'm referencing. Were, were, you know, hiring them out the old-fashioned way, as, as, I, as I like to say. So that is something I'm very much um, interested in, looking into. <laughs> I'd like for it to be less of a headache and, and sort of just have that, uh, quite frankly, just make things a lot easier. Yeah. What's the biggest area inside of mergers and acquisitions that you're curious about? Like you're still, um, I mean, there's so much in this space, right? I don't do any LBOs currently, but I read a lot about them and I studied them enough to know that that's not my, not, not where I want to be. But, uh, um, but what areas of the mergers and acquisitions space, buying companies, selling companies intrigue you the most and you're still, you're still perfecting or, or, or still learning, right? You're still staying on that learning curve to make sure you know that new area. Oh man, I can't even say it's a new, I think it's all of it. Quite frankly. I mean, there's a distinct difference from, what I've spent since 2012 as an angel investor mm -hmm. to probably going all in just two years ago to what I call being an elite investor. Right. It's, it's wildly different. So yes, I've, I've had some success. I've had an exit as, a, as an angel and really love that part of what I did, but it really is a whole new way of thinking, being, and setting things up in the right way that I want them to be. Uh, because like you, I have on my horizon to do some world travel <laughs> coming right. up. So uh, I want to make sure, you know, life is, is um, you know, riding smoothly. <laughs> uh, then I'm freed up to do the things that I really want to do and the way I want to do them. 
So for our listeners, right, the listeners are on here. They're, they're here because they're either wanting to buy businesses or they're considering selling theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you're considering selling your business out there, either one of us are very uh, interested. Uh, you can contact uh, Sharon or myself. Uh, you know, it won't hurt my feelings either way. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I got I, I have plenty. You know, there, there's plenty out there. So uh, if you resonate with what she's saying and stuff, reach out to her about what business you have. And uh, if it, you know, if it lands with me, then I, I'd love to, uh, the, we both have a huge network. So if we're not the buyer, um, we definitely know probably someone who would be. And uh, I'll speak for myself, but I, it doesn't bother me to go, hey, this isn't the right fit for me, but let me reach out to my network and see who can help you out. And uh, I imagine from your personality, you'd be in the same, you know, yeah, space. Yeah, I have done quite a bit yeah. already. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's cool. What would you, what would you consider most important for somebody who's listening to this and they're thinking about, okay, I want to do something else or it's time to retire and I need to sell. Um, what do you think is most important for them to start getting into order? Your financials. Please. <laughs> I'm having those conversations and trust me, I get it. I've, I've been that entrepreneur and you have stuff all kind of ways and places Just start that process now. And, and more importantly, uh, take the step where it doesn't have to be all on you. <laughs> find, find out who you can just give your, your bookkeeping over to and get that straight. Then it goes to an accountant to get that straight. But really, that is everything. You want to be to a place where you get on the phone, if you call, contact me, you contact uh, Ronald, and we say, yeah, great. Let's, let's connect. One of the key first things we're going to want to see, well, look, let's take a look at your financials. So you want to be able to just send someone a link, we'll pop those financials into, um, you know, wherever, wherever um, they might ask you to, to do, and you're done. And so not having to just, oh, have to figure out where stuff is, and it's all on different systems, and it's in, um, that's just going to frustrate you. It's going to delay the process. And I, let me emphasize, it will delay the process beyond uh, anything that's necessary. And so just my, my encouragement is just to start that process with recognize you're not alone in how, you know, frustrating it can be if that's not your expertise. Don't do it. If it's not your expertise. Hire somebody, you know, for a few bucks an hour to just get the bookkeeping in order so you can free yourself of that. And then and ultimately get your business sold so you can move on to things that really matter. We're going back to the who, not how, right? The, uh, we're, we're not authorized to promote Dan's book. So we're not affiliates or anything else, but uh, we're both big fans. I think that finding a who to do your accounting, if you've been doing it yourself, is critical. Your accounting, your numbers, is as much a part of selling that business or more than almost anything else, right? Yeah. You could have the greatest people in the world. Uh, you could have a business that's been in your family for dozens of years. I, I have an example, right? I, I looked at a company last year, been in their family for 60 plus years. Wow. And uh, the typical story is the first gen- you know, generation builds it, the second generation maintains it, and the third generation starts to destroy it. <laughs> that's that's kind of the path they're going down, by no fault of their own. Um but 
it, it's a problem, right? And their accounting was so bad. By the end of the picture, I pretty much had to slide an offer over the table that says, look, I'll give you a dollar today and I'll take over your four and a half million dollars of the debt. We'll pay it off in the, you know, the first 36 months. It was a $12 million uh, facility. Like they were doing 12 million a year and they were only churning out, I want to say less than a hundred thousand dollars worth of profit to be nice. Uh, they were burning through cash. And my thing was, I looked at that and I found another one similar uh, within about 50 miles that was for sale. And they were running really well, you know, uh, 30 or 5% profit margins, uh, 18 people instead of 60. Uh, they were only generating about 3 million a year on it. But my goal was to buy them both and have the little guy manage both, you know, the the team at the little, the little uh, manufacturing facility. Um, manage both because one was efficient and really good about keeping the profit margins right. And the other one was, you know, give everybody a cell phone, pay for everybody's, you know, lease payment or whatever they were doing. It was just crazy where that money was going. And uh, I wasn't certain at the end that there wasn't something else going on because they've had, they had some history. Uh, hopefully they're, if they're hearing this, I'm not saying your name for a reason, but there was some history in their family with embezzlement. And I wasn't positive that, uh, that it wasn't happening. The books were such a, you know, such a shamble. You couldn't tell. Yeah. And that's not okay. Right. You know, so we went in, we did make an offer on it, but we went in like a dollar down, we'll take over your debt. And in the first 45 days, I'm going to bring a team of forensics uh, accountants in. We're going to fix your books. We're going to clean them up and make them right. It's going to cost me some money. But if I, if it's too messed up, if they can't fix it, I get to hand it back to you in the first 45 days. So I had a, a rollback clause or an unwind clause that said, you know, you know, I might want my dollar back, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah, everybody has ghosts in their closets or where they say skeletons in their closet. Right. But, um, you know, not everybody. Funny uh, one of those you want. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. The second thing I would say for a lot of operators is if you think you're a critical part, like the, the, one of the ladies running this, she kept telling me, well, I don't think this business can run without me. I was like, then you don't have a business you can yeah. sell. Right. right. And it's funny is the people who really say that, are the ones that probably I can replace fairly quickly. They're not as critical as they thought they were. And then the other hand is like, you know, I have a lot of guys like, well, anybody can run this. And I start realizing that they have a deep personal relationship with every single client and their unique selling proposition is weak enough. Things like commodities, even the pest control business I was telling you about earlier before we got started the recording, um, that's almost a commodity. So, um, if a business owner is got a deep personal relationship with it and that business owner leaves, there's a good chance that those guys are just going to go find somebody else at the cheapest and hope they like him as opposed to, you know, sticking with the brand or the name or, or anything. So yeah. um, there's that. But I think the two things that I think people should really focus on is make sure your financials are sellable, Right. Uh, we do our math. You know, most of the valuation models that we'll come up with are based off your 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 earnings and your income, your profits, and stuff like that. So it's critical if you want if you want a decent price for your business, you probably ought to have your financials nice and clean. And uh, the other thing is, it, it needs to be it needs to rectify, or you call it uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, your tax returns ought to ought to look like your business. We need to be able to verify it somehow. And that's one of the biggest problems I see with a lot of small business owners is. Their tax returns say one thing and their business books say another and they're not reconciled. They're not they're not fixed. I mean, they're not 
I get it that you run them differently, but the process should be that you hand when your your a tax accountant does your taxing that that you know your taxes that goes back to your business account, and you can see the correlation between the two that there's there's adjustments made and things are fixed and and uh, correct. I don't want to say fixed because that that sounds like it could be. <laughs> shady uh they're they're correct right they're they're accurate and uh that's that's one of the problems i see the other one is is build your management team right and the way to do that is uh, i forgot which one it was one of the books i read recently talks about if you're ready to sell uh, tell everybody you're going on vacation in like 30 or 45 days take a week off and then don't don't let them you know like if it's not burning down don't call me Right. And then we'll come back and see what's undone and then train somebody how to do that. And then, you know, wait another 30 days and take a week and a half off. And he said, you know, that the process is by the end of the, the year, while you're prepping yourself to be, uh, you know, acquired, you should be in the office, you know, one day, two days a week at the end of that year. And everybody else should be running that show. That's when you, you can prove to an investor like us that we don't need you around because most of the time, on acquisitions, we're going to need you around for two to three years, hit certain goals. There's going to be like earnouts and all kinds of crazy stuff if you don't have that done, right? If you're a critical player, then we have to phase you out. And I would rather meet a business owner and see a business where they've already done that. They've built the team, they've trained the team, they've phased themselves out. There's actually a statistic, I love all those things you noted. This is a statistic that uh, businesses where it's not owner dependent, actually perform X percent better. And I, I don't want to misquote the percentage, but I actually, I will post that on my Instagram. For awesome. I'll, I'll find you there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it, it's phenomenal when you see that kind of thing in black and white, that it's not just, um, you know, for example, what Ronald just shared, it's, you're not just sharing these things as if, um, you know, you're the, you know, great uncle or you know, scolding people to get their uh, financials right. <laughs> there really is legitimate business sense around it. And so one of the things I think, if you, if you circle it back, why is that the case for, for maybe whatever percent of businesses that are just having difficulty keeping their financials in order? And sometimes it just goes down to shame, you know, and, and the challenge of getting that together and then you're you know, commingling personal works and business. Fix that. You know, just take one step and then another step and then another step. But 100% what you're highlighting for everyone is bang on. And there is a metric to prove that you can actually earn more when you try to sell your business when you are not the focal point. Uh, it's not dependent on you. Absolutely. So we're running close to time here. And the one, the one of the classes, the questions I always like to ask is, We've asked a lot of questions. We've talked about a lot of topics, but what's what's one or two questions I should have asked? Like, one, what's one or two things you think, man? If you were buying a business or selling a business, we should have really spoke about X or Y. Hmm. Great. Uh, so, for buying and selling, how to exit uh, would be one. And what I what I mean by that is, you know, we talked about that financial piece of it, but um, knowing what that looks like to, you know, on, on board, if you will. And, and, and so beyond just your financials, what does that process look like to actually transition that to a new owner? 
And have you thought about those things just for, for each everybody listening out there? And maybe having a, a, that sort of checklist um, would be really one of the most, I think, kind of fun pieces that I always see now when I acquire specifically a tech business is that it is all over the place in terms of onboarding systems and some people are just and so uh, I have it down pat for at least for, for my 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 group here but uh, I would like to see some uniformity in terms of how people think about that because once again those are the type of things that create delays and that means even delay in you getting your final payment if you will to come as part of the negotiation and then I guess I'll end on the note where I honestly think if you do a little research and you understand your industry and what people are paying for businesses in your industry, you could significantly increase what you get for yours by changing some minor things. So for instance, uh, I'm in this big, huge marketing roll-up where we're buying marketing agencies all around the world. And um, systems and processes are one thing, but recreating revenue, revenue that you can count on is much more attractive than one-time fees, right? And I've seen some agencies that are having a real tough time right now because they were on fee-based and not, you know, not a monthly retainer, not uh, like a, a regular thing. And all of a sudden their biggest clients don't renew because they're cutting back for a little while or something. Um, and that could happen on, you know, monthly too, but it's a lot more impactful when you're thinking you're going to get a big $25,000 renewal check or $50,000 renewal check than it is from, you know, what is that? $2,000 a month or something, you know, that, you know, is removed. Um, So understanding how your businesses are valued, uh, like does monthly recurring revenue have a higher multiple than, uh, standard revenue, it depends on it. Like the SaaS industry, if you're not doing software as a service for those who are not in tech, um, if you're not in a monthly billing or yearly annual, like if you're not in a subscription based model in that space, you're cutting yourself short because that's one of the reasons they're so sexy for us investors is it's guaranteed revenue every month. So uh, I don't know what your what's your opinion on that. I mean, uh, I don't I don't know too many SaaSes that try to use a different model. I've seen two, and I'm like, what are you doing, right? Like mm-hmm. they went on uh, like a retainer model, and they basically you you pay them one time lifetime fee, and you never have to you know pay them again. And I was like, yeah, you're gonna wish twelve months from now you're gonna wish you hadn't done that. Yeah, they so. got that one. Yeah, no, you're, you're you're spot on. And I would just add to that, there's even other recurring models beyond just a subscription model to consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that even steps you up even more in terms of what, as an investor, we would be looking for. Um, so, yeah, a lot of opportunity there. Yeah. yeah, if you can show me your product life cycle and you have an escalation inside of it that, you know, somebody comes in at one price and you grow them, encourage them and scale them up to a much more exclusive price model product and service. I'm intrigued by that, but that's just kind of where I resonate, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love recurring revenue models and I love, you know, models where I can improve what I'm offering you and it helps your life to be better because it's a better, higher quality product, but I had to charge more. So I get more value out of my customer because I'm delivering more value. That's, right. that's, yeah. intri- that's intriguing to me. And there's a lot of industries you can do that. There's a lot of that's why you see on almost all software as a service, you have the standard plan and then the, you know, the average plan and then the business plan, right? 
there's a reason why some people need more features and those features take more time for that company to support a program, track, grow, you know, make sure they're what the customer needs. So they deserve more for it. But, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I appreciate your time today. Is there anything, uh, is there any finishing notes? Like one more time, tell us how we can reach you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, SharonBrown.co and then on Instagram, hey Sharon Brown. Don't get any better than that. <laughs> so uh, my my to do is I'm definitely going to post that uh, percentage in terms of uh, what we talked about for your business, but also uh, feel free to reach out to me, uh, hey Sharon Brown on Instagram, and uh, DM me and I'll get you a copy of that uh, the who, uh, not how, as well as you can also do it on uh, SharonBrown.co. I would not miss that opportunity if I didn't have a copy of that sitting there. You know, the other, before we finish up, the interesting thing that I was told, I actually have a performance coach who is now a friend. So he started off as my performance coach, keeping me at the top of my game. And now we're really good friends. And he still, he still busts my uh, butt, you know, every once in a while. I just, I like, he's a, a retired Marine or not retired. I guess Marines never retire. He's uh, he what he was an active duty Marine. He's now, now he's a civilian. Uh, I don't know what the proper phrase is. They get offended if you call him a, a retired Marine or something, oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh Anyway, he, uh, he, it was him and one other guy. They said, well, you read five, six books a week sometimes because I drive a lot and I'm listening to audiobooks. He says, but you don't implement the stuff. So it, that took that to heart. So now instead of I take I focus on one subject for about a month to two months, I really study and implement it like the 80 20 rule with Perry Marshall and his new book and the who not how I did those back to back because they build on each other. And I'm out interviewing VAs and virtual, you know, like who can I bring in? to do some of the stuff that doesn't require my time, oh, yeah. but I need, I need done. I do it every day or I need, I should do it every day. Sometimes I drop it because there's more fun stuff to do than what I should be doing. So <laughs> all those, I'm looking at all those. And I, you know, I used to have the model. I used to joke around even this is like, you know, I would outsource brushing my teeth if I could get somebody to show up at my house at the right times of the day. <laughs> but, um, I got it. I fell out of that some somehow over time and I'm really getting back into like the who, not how. And there's a subject, there's a thing in that book that's called an impact filter. And it's critical for the who, not how. It, it, it outlines who you're looking for, what you want to do, what are the measurements of success or for failure for them? And then what is the impact on your life if you did it? What's the impact on your life if you don't do it? And what's the impact on the world if you do it? And what's the impact on the world if you don't? And that's that's a critical thing to do. It. I, I write those up now. I actually keep them. I actually have to stack them over here underneath the stuff on my desk. If I'm going about to hire somebody or interview somebody, I make sure I have an impact filter written and I give it to them because this is what you're going to be measured against. Like, this is this is who I'm looking for. Here's here's how I'm going to here's there's eight points on there to measure success or failure. Here's what you're going to be measured by. And, you know, are you willing to accept this? You know, and uh, they get you get buy in from them on that. So uh, uh, I, this, I've, I've read the book. It's the first time I've. Uh, uh, done this. So, yeah, but, I love it. I love it. You retain some good nuggets out of there too. Yeah. So yeah, that's fantastic. Cool. Well, I think we'll wrap it up then. And I appreciate your time and, uh, um, hang on here. I'm going to turn off the recording for everybody and I appreciate everybody listening. Thanks everybody. <laughs>